a lot of things that uh, I believe Inuvik and the Beaufort Delta could teach the world. We've learned to live on one of the harshest areas uh, of this planet by working together. Our elders had a saying that hard times are coming and they advise us of our need to get back to the land. Hello and welcome to Travel Beyond, where we partner with leading destinations to explore the greatest challenges facing communities and the planet, servicing their most inspiring solutions. I'm David Archer, Editorial Manager at Destination Think, and I'm recording from the coastal village of Dajingids, British Columbia, in Haida Gwaii, the territory of the Haida Nation. And I'm Tyler Robinson, a climate specialist at Destination Think. I'm recording from Toronto, the traditional territory of many nations, including the Mississauga of the Credit, the Anishinaabe, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat peoples. On this podcast, we look at the role of travel and choose to highlight destinations that are global leaders. We talk to the changemakers who are addressing regenerative travel through action in their communities, often from the bottom up. We're actively looking for the best examples of efforts to regenerate economies, communities, and ecosystems. So be sure to reach out if you have a story to share with us. And any listeners familiar with the podcast will notice we've got a new voice today. So a uh, big welcome to my colleague at Destination Think, Tyler Robinson. Thanks for being here, Tyler, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and your role at Destination Think? Sure. I'm a climate change and sustainability professional. And because the fields of climate change and sustainability are so intersectional and touch on so many different aspects of society, it really forces me to have a systems mindset. An example of this is that it's very important to me to apply a social justice lens when developing climate action plans. The types of projects that I usually work on involve developing sustainability or climate action strategies for cities or regions around the world that are looking to address some combination of sustainability challenges, becoming more resilient, and generally just improving quality of life. Some of the destinations I've worked with include Queenstown, New Zealand, Aspen, Colorado, Copenhagen, British Columbia, and Oregon. Essentially, my work is an extension of Destination Think's mission of shaping travel as a force for good. And in 2022, you and I did a written interview for the Destination Think blog called Meet Strategist Tyler Robinson on a mission to make DMOs part of the climate solution. So a year and a half onward, is that still true? Uh, yes, definitely. It's truer than ever. If anything, we need to increase our urgency. We're not on track to limit warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius, unfortunately. And so we really need to ramp up our actions quickly. The challenges are immense, but the opportunities are even bigger. And luckily, some destinations are realizing this. And it's been really inspiring to see them take ambitious action. Yeah, and it's been inspiring to be able to share some of those actions and visions from destinations we've been working with and have had the opportunity to speak with. Can you talk a little bit more about what those opportunities might be? Because we often hear about the challenges, which is important, but what are some of the opportunities that come to mind for you? Sure. The opportunities are really wide ranging across social environment and uh, economic benefits. To start, there's going to be a massive opportunity for job creation. Whole industries will need to transform. New ones will have to emerge. 
taking climate action also is often very closely tied to increasing the resilience uh, of communities and allowing them to get ahead of the climate crisis. There's also export opportunities for clean energy or for many other forms of clean tech that a region might develop and be a leader in coming out of this climate crisis. And then finally, there's many co-benefits that come with climate change actions that positively impact quality of life in terms of health benefits, for example. And often if we pursue climate action effectively, we're doing it in tandem with biodiversity improvements. And so you get those types of co-benefits as well. This season, we are headed to the Arctic town of Inuvik, Northwest Territories in northern Canada. Our international listeners, or or maybe even our Canadian listeners, might not be that familiar with Inuvik, so I wanted to situate us all. Inuvik is a remote town of about 3,400 people. It's at 68 degrees latitude on the Mackenzie Delta, a little ways north of the Arctic Circle. Inuvik has an average of 56 days of midnight sun every summer and 30 days of polar night every winter. Located in an area that has been home to the Gwich'in and Inuvialuit peoples for millennia, and these are two of the most northerly indigenous groups in North America. We're going to hear from members of those communities later this episode. Inuvik is connected to the south via the Dempster Highway, and it's 3,200 kilometers or so from the nearest major city, which is Edmonton. And that is, according to Google Maps, at least a 38-hour drive. And then since 2017, the inuvik tuktoyaktik Highway was completed, and that links those two communities. Tuktoyaktuk is on the Arctic Ocean. Locals often call it Tuk, so you'll hear that in some of the interviews. And this is a place where rising seas and coastal erosion are having a big impact the region hosts many visitors too, and so as we get started, I wanted to share a short story from Jackie Chalice, who was, until just recently, the Director of Tourism and Economic Development at the town of Inuvik. She told us a little bit about what the community is like and shared a memorable experience related to travel. I'll play that part of the interview for you right now. So Inuvik, we're 200 kilometers north of the Arctic Circle and we are right on the tree line south of us and within and around us your boreal forests and the land of the Gwich'in. And then if you just go north of us, we are also on the land of the Inuvialuit. So as we move north and closer to Tuk, you will pass the tree line and all the coastal communities are above the tree line. I think the feeling here that's different is that sense of community, that sense of family, that sense of collaboration and kinmanship and fellowship that you get here is something that you don't find everywhere and that is something that you feel here and I think that when visitors come they get a little sample of that and they get a taste of that. Uh, the quick story is that we had two 97 year old visitors that drove up in a VW bug and they drove from Vancouver and they were 97 and 98 years old and drove the Dempster Highway in a Volkswagen bug and they came during Indigenous Day and when we found out they were here, the whole community got together and they sang them, like, because it was their anniversary. And one of them, it was their birthday, so they sang them happy birthday, and then everybody was going up and congratulating them and hugging them. And they left saying, you know, we live in a place where elders are ignored, where elders are a pain or a difficulty or we're trying to put them away. And here, elders are celebrated. That knowledge is celebrated, and they were so taken back by that. And it has stuck with me ever since their visit because that is the difference, is that 
belief and understanding that elders are the knowledge keepers, that they are the original, um, <laughs> the original Google, that they are much more than that. And just watching their interaction here with people and how amazed they were was something that st has stuck with me this whole time. Any thoughts about that story from Jackie? Yeah, it was really warming to, to hear that story. It's so inspiring to see that type of community energy and the impacts that it has on people. Clearly, it had a very significant impact on that couple that traveled up there. The sustainability challenges that we face around the world are so much more manageable when we have a, a collectivist mindset. When we start with that kind of foundation, it gives me hope that we can take adequate action. And I think that Inuvik and its community really embodies that energy of Jackie's story. So that was very much in alignment with the experiences that I had when I was up there visiting. Yeah, I, I love that story. It just seems to encapsulate a sense of belonging and community that Inuvik residents have told us about and that Jackie is going to tell us about in our next episode. And I also feel like it's a great example of how travel can change your perspective as both a visitor and as a host, because Jackie really was struck by this couple and how the community responded. And I think it's a great example of the idea that we often talk about where travel needs to make the world a better place. It needs to make the places we visit better and we can be proud to host visitors as well. You visited Inuvik in 2020 and that was part of the development of Inuvik's tourism marketing strategy. Can you tell us or give us a quick summary of that project and, and what you learned? Yeah, the, the key focus of the strategy really was to attract the right type of visitor to Inuvik. That was really at its core. It was a core theme that we wove through much of the document. And the region really does hold so much indi Indigenous wisdom, particularly about stewarding the land. And these aren't referred to as sustainable practices in any official way because they're just the common way that Indigenous peoples have lived for thousands of years. And more recently, climate scientists have been operating research stations out of the region. And the combination of Western science and Indigenous wisdom is really powerful when it comes to tackling sustainability challenges, uh, such as climate change. There's so much to learn from this region, and we wanted to make sure we developed a strategy that attracts visitors who are respectful and who are eager to immerse themselves in experiences with a learning mindset. Yeah, and this season... We're going to hear from Inuvik community members about values, culture, and connection with the land. We're going to hear from climate scientists who are visiting to study permafrost and get some of their thoughts on travel. And we'll also investigate some of the actions that are happening to help Inuvik adapt to the future of travel and northern living. We have some really exciting guests coming up. So Tyler, can you lead us into our first interview of the season? Definitely. We have two conversations to share today from Indigenous community members. We'll hear from Bambi Amos, a traditional Inuvialuit artist. But first, we'll drop in on a conversation that our CEO, Rodney Payne, had with Grand Chief Ken Kikovicic of the Gwich'in Tribal Council, who talks about his community's connection with the land and shares a bit of wisdom passed down from elders. Ken Kikovicic, and I'm the Grand Chief of the Gwich'in Tribal Council. What do you love most about living in this part of the world? The land. The land and the resources and also the people. I have a lot of family up here 
and friends and just the landscape and just the quality of life, the pace that seems to slow right down. I had lived outside of the region for over 17 years and just coming back into the region and everything just kind of takes a breath and things move a little bit slower as a result, but uh, I just find it just a much more down-to-earth way of living. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you came full circle to return here? Well, I grew up here in Inuvik and a town just down the road from here called uh, Fort McPherson, Tedlerger. A lot of my family comes from the community of Fort McPherson, so I spent a lot of my summers and key events like Christmas and Easter in Fort McPherson. So in a lot of ways, I, I consider Fort McPherson my home. But I ended up uh, leaving for my high school years. I went down and got my grade 12 in a place called Fort Smith, Northwest Territories. I was a member of the Western Arctic Leadership Program that took sort of the best and brightest grade nine students from across the Northwest Territories and put them into a leadership development type of school. Mm. I did five years at the University of Lethbridge. I did a year of law school and halfway through a year of law at the University of Alberta in Edmonton, I realized this isn't what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And I came back to Nuvik and uh, the first job I had was as a lobbyist for the protection of the porcupine caribou. So lobbying the Eastern U.S. Seaboard, found myself in Washington, D.C. on 9-11. And I watched history unfold uh, from one of the Senate buildings there. And then I ended up coming home afterwards and fell in love and had a family. And we left in about 2000, late 2003, early 2004 and raised uh, my three children. We spent about eight years in Yellowknife and then about just over nine years in Saskatoon. And all my children are adults now and I got three grandchildren now. So that's my number one job as a grandfather. Myself and my wife Tara came back here to Inuvik in 2020 so that I could run for Grand Chief of the Gwich'in Tribal Council. And I've been doing that work for coming on three years now. What do you think people who've never been to the north should know about the people and environment here? First and foremost, our resiliency. Uh, if you see some of the crafts that are here, a lot of them are handmade. We've made a living off of figuring out our own way to get our own supplies. The ingenuity that we have here in this region. Resiliency and ingenuity are two pieces that I think often gets overlooked. People see the beauty of a pair of moose hide slippers, earrings, but what they don't understand or appreciate is the fact that our people learned how to make those while they were harvesting and living out on the land. And the other piece is that they made a lot of these items so that their family members and their loved ones could show it off to the community, just their handiwork and the pride that they would have it's not unlike you'd find with regalia in the prairie provinces of Canada when you go to indigenous powwows. You know, it's their, a labor of love in terms of what some of the artisans create. But the reality is, is you know, the ingenuity, the resilience, I think that that's really what holds true for me in this part of the country. What do you think it brings to the place to host tourists, right? You know, you welcome people from all over the world onto your land. What do you think that brings to the community? 
Well, first and foremost, pride, right? You know, recognizing that as Gwich'in and Inuvialuit indigenous peoples, we've been able to live in one of the harshest climates on the planet. And we do so very humbly. You know, the fact that you can get down to minus 50 in the winter and up to plus 35 in the summer. Yes, we have lots of bugs. Yes, we have lots of wind. But our people really didn't let that phase them. And we've been able to craft out a living in this part of the world with our ways of, of living, uh, our traditional ways as we call them. And for us to be able to display that humility, that respect that we have for the land because Mother Nature can be brutal at times and we've learned that firsthand. And being able to share our knowledge with the rest of Canada and the world displays a, a tremendous amount of pride for local residents. What do you think Inuvik can teach the world? There's a lot of things that uh, I believe Inuvik and the Beaufort Delta can teach the world. First and foremost is about respect. We needed to live up here. I mentioned it earlier and I can't overstate the fact that we've learned to live on one of the harshest areas uh, of this planet by working together. When you're out on the land, there's no such thing as politics. There's no left wing, there's no right wing. We all belong to the same bird trying to make a living. And you know, I think the respect that people have and should have for one another as individuals, whether you agree with people or not, those are traditional teachings for us. Sharing and caring is a key aspect. You see somebody in need, whether they're Gwich'in, Inuvialuit, non-Indigenous, you stop what you're doing and you go over and you help those individuals. And last but certainly not least, our humor. I believe it was a coping mechanism for us to have a, a healthy degree of humor in anything that we did. A good story, that's something that is actually going away, and I, I hate to say that, but our good storytellers are, are passing. And the art of telling a good story, typically involving harvesting practices, being out on the land, a good storyteller will exaggerate a little bit in the interest of entertainment. But that's a tr traditional teaching for us is we have so many families that have their storytellers and in the past we had a handful of storytellers that before we had the advent of television in our territory when those individuals came to your home that was your entertainment for the week, the month, the summer. When you got a couple hours and you had one of our storytellers come in and regale people with humorous stories of how we lived up here in a difficult environment really is something that I think is very special. Danny and I drove up to Tuck yesterday and we were trying to imagine what it's like to not be in a car or a house, yeah. even in summer and, and survive in the elements like that. And it's really hard to, to put yourself in that place and think about it. Just stop the vehicle, go out of the truck and walk on the tundra. Yeah. Wherever you go, just walk a certain ways. What looks like a close distance is actually a long way and could take you hours. Yeah. And it just looks like it's right there. You should be able to run over and be back in 15 minutes. Yeah. You get an entirely different appreciation for what our ancestors went through in terms of traversing the territory.
I can't even imagine how difficult that was. How do you think that traveling here can help people to better understand their impact on the world? Well, I think first and foremost, seeing our construction all on piles. We're dependent upon, our engineering is dependent upon a frozen layer of ground. And once that collapses, then we start seeing some major changes and impacts here. A lot of things will need to be rebuilt if we have an entire collapse of the permafrost layer, for example. What does that do to ground stability? We already see the slumping in our territory. We're experiencing the flooding. Not so much the fires yet, but we know that's coming. It's inevitable. It's hitting every region in the country. So I think for people to come up to this part of the world and go to places like Taktiaktak where you're losing almost an entire community to the ocean, rising sea levels, seeing that firsthand, seeing what's happening with some of the pingos melting. I think it's important for people to better appreciate some of those changes because when you're living in a larger centre like Vancouver, Toronto, New York, you don't see that, it's all a concrete jungle. But when you see the nature here and how it's being impacted, and you go to any coastal region across the globe, especially Indigenous communities, you see the changes happening in terms of erosion, rising levels, you have communities needing to be relocated as a result because what was once their fishing grounds and they've been in low-lying areas for centuries, they're now having to relocate to higher ground. So I think people realizing that and seeing the financial and the personal and emotional costs that global climate change is bringing to the world, I think only then will people fully begin to comprehend some of the changes that we're seeing up here. Are you hopeful or frightened for the future? I'm always hopeful. Our elders had a saying that hard times are coming. There's going to come a time when food is scarce, that people will have a hard time making a living, that water will be um, hard to find and they advise us of our need to get back to the land and I don't see that as something that is there to scare us but rather prepare us that we cannot lose sight of the fact that we do need to be able to be out on the land if we ever did need to get back there and as I stated this morning at the show weathering the storm has been something we've done for generations and yes, we are facing some existential threats right now in terms of climate change, mental health and addictions. But it's a period of, of difficult times that we just need to weather the storm and work together as best we can because things will get better again. It's very cyclical. It's another thing we're taught. Good times come and go. And so I'm always hopeful for the future so that when we do get in the good times, they're really good. <laughs> and when things are difficult, you're doing what you can just to hold the fort until times get better again. And they will. So I always maintain a level of optimism there. You have to because the alternative is just a non-option, a non-starter in my opinion. If you had a magic wand, what would you change about the world? I would change that you shouldn't need a magic wand to change things. <laughs> Really, I think it's just small things at a time. We glamorize 
the goats, right? The greatest of all time. We glamorize the people that have achieved this unachievable level of success. And we don't celebrate the small wins. Somebody coming to somebody's home with a pot of soup or a casserole or the kindness that's out there that happens every day that goes unnoticed or unrecognized. Getting back to the small wins, that is something that is very valued in our Gwich'in culture. Is just doing the little things for no recognition. If you are getting recognition, then you're doing it wrong. And just doing things with a good heart. And if I had a magic wand, that's really what I would try to achieve is trying to rid ourselves of the world that we seem to be finding ourselves in is where people can't do good deeds without recognition. And I think you change the world by doing that one step at a time. What do you wish the community of Inuvik knew that they don't know? Just how special and unique we are, right? We've got two indigenous nations here. We've got non-indigenous people. We're a very diverse community. And we are in an area of the world that people, when they get here, they're just completely awestruck. We look at this as being, at times, being less than what you could find in the south. Our major centers are Edmonton, Vancouver. So people see what we don't have. And what we do have, our most precious resource, I always say it, is our people. And some of the elders that have passed here in recent years have been incredibly special people. And the world is a less brighter place for not having them around these days. That's our community spirit. But what needs to happen is others need to fill that void. Others need to come up. We have elders in our community that don't know their elders yet, but they are just in how they approach things and we need to see people rise up to that. That's how we've survived for generations is through leadership, through um, community support people. As some pass, others come in and fill their role and do better, to be honest. That's really the, the nature of life. And I think when people recognize just tell people some of the, how special some of the people that we take for granted in this community are. I wish people could see a little bit more of that, and they do. A lot of people do, but a lot of people don't. And I think aside from our lands and resources, our people will always be our greatest resource. What brings you joy? The Edmonton Oilers winning the Stanley Cup, country music. To be honest, seeing an underdog come back seeing somebody that people write off in our communities, achieving something that people once thought impossible. Our young people taking pride in themselves. There's a lot of things that, that bring me joy. Having a story, being blessed with a story from an elder, having them call or see you in person, be able to share something with you. Those are the types of things that, that bring me joy and just being around a lot of our friends, family, broader community, like we're going to be tonight in terms of celebrating our music and dancing. They're all very heartwarming events. Thank you for taking a moment to share your story with us. 
No, thank you. Masi, I really appreciate the opportunity to share my thoughts in this regard because it's important for us to be telling our story. Thank you. All right. Yeah. Thank you. That was Rodney Payne with Grand Chief Ken Kikovicic of the Gwich'in Tribal Council. And to close this episode, we'd like to share a brief interview with Bambi Amos, a traditional Inuvialuit artist whose creations keep her close to her culture and the environment. She told us a bit about her perspective on that and on travel to Inuvik. My name is Bambi Amos, and my Inuvialuktun names are Dagi Luk and Aulagan. I'm named after both of my grandmothers, and I am a traditional Inuvialuit artist. Very cool. Do you think tourism is important for Inuvik? Yes. Yep, I think that tourism has always been a big part of Inuvik, being so close to the Arctic Ocean and having the Dempster Highway. Growing up here in Inuvik, I always saw tourists here every summer. And what does it bring to the place to to host visitors? I think a lot of experience and different cultures uh, coming in and sharing and also being able to share our culture. I just saw your, some of your crafts and they're really beautiful. Mm-hmm, and thank you. Obviously, there's the physical aspect of connecting with people through products, mm-hmm. but do you find that the conversations that you get to have with people also are part of the exchange? Oh yeah, big time, yes. Yeah, in, in what way? Being able to appreciate. Uh, I think uh, appreciation is a big part of it. In thinking about like what you work with, your your medium, and people being curious and really appreciating what you do. Where do people come from to visit? All over, yeah, all over. I see the European RV vehicles, yeah, and all over, all over Canada, the United States. And do you think there's a certain type of traveler who gets the most out of coming here? What's the right type of visitor to come up here? Definitely adventurous. They have to be adventurous, especially to drive up the Dempster Highway. Yeah. What do you hope that people leave with when they come to visit this very special part of the world? What do you hope that they take home? Satisfaction. Yeah. I think being able to experience different things, different part of the world. We're so unique. Every part of the world is unique, but... We are very unique and it's, I think, like a certain type of person that comes up here to experience the North. What do you think Inuvik can teach the world? I think that we're, we're really grounded in our roots and our nature, our culture, our language. What do you wish the world knew about Inuvik that they don't know? I think I could go back to how special this region of Canada is, Um, being so close to the Arctic Ocean, right on the boreal forest tree line, and being close to nature. The challenges that I see is more of a modern way of living and being able to adapt to that. Yeah, it's definitely a challenge from living off the land fully to you know being housed and going to school and like different foods the nutrition is totally different and yeah 
Mm. Yeah, alcoholism and yeah, addictions in general. Yeah. What support do you think northern communities need from other places that they're not getting? I think learning and education is key and having the ability to have an open mind and learning I guess the new ways of living for Indigenous people. Do you think that the travel experience and that opportunity to connect as humans without devices in between us or media in between us is an opportunity? Oh learning? yeah, yep, traveling for sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How do you think the travel experience helps people to learn? Engagement, learning or meeting new people, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice You're to welcome. talk to you. Mm -hmm. Queen. What, what, what does that mean? Thank you. Yeah. How, how do I say that? Koya Naini. Yeah. Yeah. The K makes a K sound. Yeah. <coughs> but the Q makes a K. Okay. So Koya Naini. Koya Naini. Yeah. Yeah. Very mm -hmm. cool. Yeah. I learned something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us. This has been Travel Beyond, presented by Destination Think. This episode, we heard from Grand Chief Ken Kikovicic of the Gwich'in Tribal Council and traditional Inuvialuit artist Bambi Amos. We'll include links to more resources on the blog at destinationthink.com, including a link to some of Bambi's incredible creations. I'm Tyler Robinson. My co-host is David Archer, who co-produces the Travel Beyond podcast with Sarah Raymond Dubois. David produced this episode and composed its theme music. Lindsay Payne and Annika Rautiola provided production support. We would like to thank the town of Inubik for sponsoring this season, and we're grateful to the many community members, including Indigenous leaders, who shared their time and stories with us. You can help more people find this show by subscribing and leaving a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Next time, we'll hear more from Jackie Chalice former director of tourism and economic development at the town of Inuvik. See you then.